What does it take to successfully innovate? Contrary to popular opinion, it requires discipline and rigor, and it's not an accident. That's according to Snack Futures Mandala's Insights lead, Barbara Shandle, who sat down with Food Institute CEO and managing partner, Brian Choi, in this special edition of the Food Institute podcast, coming at you right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. I'm Brian Choi, managing partner and CEO of the Food Institute. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Barbara Shandel, the insights lead of Mondelez's Snack Future Ventures. She is a highly experienced consumer and shopper insights professional with over 25 years of experience. She also calls herself a curiosity champion. We're going to ask her what that means later in the program. Uh, but uh, right now, Barbara, thank you for joining me on today's Food Institute podcast. Thank you, Brian. Uh, nice to meet you again. Uh, great to see you. And thanks for having me today. I'm quite uh, excited. So great. Great. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the pro program for a number of different reasons. Um, you have a tremendous background as it relates to innovation and helping companies, large companies, deal with innovation and implementing that into actionable um, strategies for businesses. But for uh, to start off, Barbara, why don't you share a little bit more about your background, a uh, little bit about your history and what you currently do with Mondelez? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you again. Um, so yeah, you, you described it already, like I'm a curiosity champion. That might actually say already uh, something a little bit about myself, uh, who I am and also what I do. So yeah, I'm a consumer insights and innovation professional for more than 25 years. And um, a lot of people do not know, but I started uh, my uh, career in Nielsen. So um, uh, like a very, very long time ago before I joined uh, previously, uh, Kraft Foods in Austria, Vienna. So, and then my journey basically started. Um, so the journey went from local roles, regional roles, global roles across various categories. Um, and I would say um, also maybe for our conversation today, I built, built really a deep expertise um, in emerging markets. Um, so working at this time also for the previous, um, we call it now EMEA region, and I think this is also where I developed my kind of more um, agile mindset. Uh, and then um, after this experience, and that's actually already really a long time ago. So 13 years ago, I moved then to Switzerland and um, I joined the Tassimo Ventures team at this time, moved uh, to Global Shopper Insights, um, spent also some time in the Global Chocolate team. I used to work on Oreo uh, chocolate and premium chocolate platforms. And then, yeah, Snack Future, Futures was formed in um, end of um, 2018. So we started the journey uh, in early 2019. And currently, I'm the Insights Lead of Snack Futures. Um, it's an innovation and ventures hub. And I'm also a core team member uh, of the Innovation Excellence team. Um, and that is really great because um, I have the possibility um, to do a lot of uh, new, um, exciting things and experiment. But at the same time, I have also the possibility with the Innovation Excellence team to bring in my experience and learnings back into the base business. So that's a, a, a really uh, great opportunity. People ask me, okay, what's your favorite brand? And do you still eat? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah. Do you still eat chocolate? Well, I have to say yes. <laughs> I eat chocolate every day. And Milka is by far my favorite brand. I would say um, Curiosity Champion. I Yeah, I found this kind of description because I, I, I really like it. I think it really reflects who I am because I have really a natural curiosity in people and the world. Uh, so listening, connecting, talking to people is a, is a really passion of mine. And I have been cultivating this for decades. So yeah, that's a little Great. bit about me. Well, what a, what a wonderful background. I love, you know, your curiosity champion uh, title. I think it fits, fits you very well. Um, one question I have for you, Barbara is having worked at multiple CPG companies, um, how would you describe Mondelez's approach to innovation? How does it differ from some of the other organizations that you've worked at? I would, I would say, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a very interesting question. It's also, I would say a hard question to reflect and think about because in, I, deep down, I believe, you know, when you look into big food companies, you know, the innovation approach is probably fairly similar. Yeah, I think, uh, but I will actually add later something, you know, with what, because I thought, you know, like, okay, that's a, that's really interesting. Um, and I think there is one, one thing, um, in Mondelez we are doing probably, we really try to advocate every day. But if you think of the innovation journey, you know, it's about, of course, the strategy opportunity, right? So where to play, how to play. So we start, you know, from that angle. Then we go into the explore phase. Um, then uh, we're going into ideation. And last but not least, you know, we experiment uh, before we uh, yeah, go in, into the marketplace. So I would say probably these are the big kind of themes. Um, it is still to a certain extent probably quite a sequential approach. Yeah. So it's like we're doing a process. It's often called innovation process. But I would say, you know, in the last years, and I think, again, this is for many companies, we are also looking more into iteration. So it's not just, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, you go, you follow. It's also, you know, you learn and um, you build a learning culture and hopefully have the ability to go back when something doesn't work that well. I think we are now as an organization more open to that, you know, um, and we are really trying to bring this in more. So I think this is maybe something, you know, starting to do and again we are also probably not the only one um, i'm sure you talk to many other companies and that's something really um we are trying to do it's it's sometimes a bit easier sometimes it's not so easy yeah? um but what i really would like to highlight you know coming back to your question what's a bit maybe different what and in general when you look at the industry not just food but other industries maybe as well I really like that we try to bring in the consumer in the innovation journey as early as possible. Actually, even before the strategy, you know, it's, it is the, the consumer should not be a one-off. Yeah? It's, it's not a project, right? It's not something you say, oh, you know, I do this and this and that. And it's, it's quite, you know, very, um, yeah, isolated, you know, from the innovate from the innovation journey. No, the consumer should be there from the very first moment. And what I mean by that, it's not just, um, understanding the consumer it's not just observing the consumer it's a little bit more it's actually having the ability to yes you observe you understand the consumer but taking those observations and forming them into insights you know and really maybe finding out a consumer problem or need you know during this journey 
um, where you then actually in, in the um, explore stage, you know, you're, you're basically able um, to bring that to life, you know, and that will also help you to do much better ideation um, later in the journey. So I think, you know, there is this power in um, the consumer advocacy, the consumer obsession, the consumer centricity. Yeah? But again, a lot of companies talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very important. We always say, oh, the consumer, oh, the consumer. But it's not just, you know, from a distance, right? It's not just, ah, you know, we, 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 we yes, let's ask the consumer. It's more, you know, there has to be the next step there has to be something you transform. There has to be something you find you're solving for. Yeah? And ideally, you know, we fall in love with this consumer problem or need, right? So we want to support uh, people uh, to have actually a better snacking experience. You know, that's uh, our, yeah, I would say this is our ultimate desire. Um, and I think, you know, that is something um, Mondelez is, you know, also now when you, uh, talk to different teams, you know, um, not just in insights, not just in marketing, yeah, but also always asking, okay, you know what, have we consulted the consumer? And I think this is a quite a powerful question uh, to shape also behavior, to nurture this consumer centricity, um, to form a consumer centric culture. And then maybe go a step further. I mean, and that's the stop, step around, you know, identifying the problem is really than the job um, in cross collaboration with um, insights, marketing, um, R&D, um, ideally in a cross-functional team. That's great. I, I love I love the the term uh, you know consumer uh, centricity because I think that that goes to the heart of you know what many organizations they fail they they do have all these great programs within but they for, sometimes can forget about <laughs> who their end. Uh, consumer is right, and so I love that. I want to drill in, drill down a little bit more into the the way Mondelez looks at trends, and you sort of touched upon this in your previous answer about looking at the consumer. But there's a, a, a deluge of many other types of you know data from Nielsen, from IRI, looking at other sort of like trend reports. Can you can you share with us like how Mondelez incorporates all the different data? And then takes that and 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 forms an actionable strategy in house within within the organization. Yeah, um, it's um, quite complex, but then at the same time, it's not so complex. You know, it can also be hope, hopefully um, you know um, a bit simpler when you actually know what you're looking at. Um, and I have to say, I, I, I need to praise here our for, our great foresights team. Um, because, you know, for, um, many years now, we have a, a foresights team. Um, and this team is part of, uh, our global insights and analytics team. And, uh, they are really great because what, um, this team started to do is, um, they implemented a kind of, uh, I would say a trends, a, a channel trends evaluation within a company wide trend rating campaign once every two years. So, um, trends, they were always very important in our company. You know, I'm long time in the organization. I remember, you know, even we did trends video. Yeah. We tried to bring the trends to life, but I think with a foresight approach, what is, what's really great is you can, uh, bring in a systematic thinking, if that makes sense, because there is a certain discipline to it, um, to identify that hopefully the right trends for us also. Yeah. 
And it's again, often people say, oh, foresights, it's, yeah, yeah, it's about predicting the future, right? <laughs> and we're like, you know, me and uh, foresights, it's like, oh, uh, if we can predict the future, we will probably not sit here. It's more around uh, using the right uh, tools um, to um, identify really future opportunities. I think this is all what, what it's all about. You know, foresights is using this kind of trends evaluations. But also what's really great is what, what the team has been doing is um, they, they almost uh, created a co-creation approach with Mondelez employees internally. So basically, they, they're asking also us, you know, and uh, many, many teams to evaluate the impact of those trends on the future of food and snacking industry. And what this also does is it really sort of forces, you know, teams and people to be a bit on, you know, to be a bit informed about the outside world, right? Because if you rate a trend internally and you're invited, you want, of course, you want to know a little bit what you're doing. So I think that's great. I think this is a great um, approach in terms of using um, the trends evaluation, but also at the same time do a bit of a co-creation internally. And then what we also do um, is we evaluate the trends in terms of the time of their material impact, their maturity, and also their predictability. Okay, and this is a more advanced and nuanced version, and this is done then by a smaller expert team. So I would say this is the trends part, very important for us here. Yeah. Um, and I would even say it's getting more and more important to have this really, besides macro trends, but also having the trends in snacking, right? The trends in food, you know, there's so many expressions. There's also a lot of trends happening in tech, yeah. Uh, fluid lifestyle, we actually, I think we, um, I hope uh, we have the time uh, to talk about this also a little bit later. But also then, you know, um, especially for our team Snack Futures, what we also do in terms of the decision-making processes and then say, okay, you know what, um, we take the trends, but it's not only the trends, right? Because we also need to find a way to track um, and find new companies. Yeah? So that's the other part, especially for our team. And um, I have developed or I'm trying to develop a, a kind of um, a bit of a leaderboard using various data sources, yeah? because it's also not only one data source, yeah? where we can hopefully um, scout over a period of time interesting you know, uh, brands, companies for us. Yeah? Because again, it's like otherwise you, you go out and it's like, okay, you know, you... You look a little bit around, you know, you can obviously, you know, you maybe meet uh, a lot of uh, people um, like um, at, at fairs, you know, at food shows, at trade shows. And that's also important because that's more the uh, the human aspect, right, than talking to people. But at the same time, you know, you need to also link it back with uh, the trends, the systematic tracking uh, to also then say, okay, there is something actually, we have the KPI, there is a growth rate. There is something in there. We see a pattern. We see something, right? We can spot that, you know, and then act accordingly. I think that maybe rounds it up, and that's that's very very important. Yeah? I think it's often, you know, I think innovation has a bit this like, oh, Barbara, you work and you can, oh, you can do this and you can experiment, you know, and you go out and you do this. But I'm like, um, no, it's actually a discipline, and I think the more rigor you put into the homework, and I call the homework the strategy, and even you know. A step before, right? We said also taking the consumer on board. Yeah? The more rigor you have in the upfront part, the better everything will flow after. I think it's almost like then you're like, oh, 
the consumer insight almost falls out. Yeah? But I think if the, the rigor at the beginning is not done, and it, it is a discipline, yeah, um, then, you know, you might uh, go further in your journey and you might discover mm, in the experiment phase, hmm, hmm, maybe the insight is not that strong. Yeah? So, and then we need to go back. And then often we are not so disciplined to go back, right? Because then we still would go further. We have invested a little bit, right? We, we tested, we evaluated maybe also. So, um, yeah, so this is, I'm, I'm also, I, I would say, yeah, there is a definitely also passion around this, uh, upfront part. Um, and that's a very, very important, um, decision making processes, using the trends, using, systematic ways um, to spot. That's great. I I love that. I I think many, uh, like you said, like there are many people that think innovation as, you know, some some scientist in the basement, you know, experimenting with all these different (laughs) ideas. But what you said is so important is that it's a discipline. There's a methodology, right? (laughs) And it takes that rigor and that discipline to make to evaluate trends, but also translate that into a viable product that's going to be, um, you know, a product of success. And so in my follow up question, Barbara, can you share some examples within Mondelez where, you know, all that, that analysis and that trend analysis and that systematic approach to um, innovating? um, And can you share some examples of what what products or things Mm -hmm. that came out of that? Um, Yeah, uh, definitely. I have some um, examples, you know, from when we used to in- innovate, you know, in our team. So um, some really when we created also uh, brands. Yeah. And um, I would say in uh, Snack Futures, we we have and we're actually still using that quite a bit. You know, we identified because you also said, oh, there's so much data, right? And and uh, there's so many resources maybe you have and you have often you have too much and that's true so in snack futures you know um we always uh, used to combine the trends work the trends work which i described before with uh the game boards and the game boards is basically um a kind of a, a practice on on where to play where to play and how to play so the opportunity areas yeah so that's that's also very important yeah and um i can say i have um a really great example um, from uh, a brand called uh, Milligram. At this time, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's um, it, it's actually a functional nut butter. So um, we created in the functional food space because that's uh, an, an area a couple of years ago really uh, picked up. So functional food. Uh, by now, we can also say it's maybe a little bit of uh, getting into a mainstream trend. But at this time, you know, we said, okay, there is something around this functional aspect. You know, uh, nut butter is um, a big market also in the US, right? Um, very well known. Um, it's it's actually a behavior. And we can also build on a current behavior. But also there's there were actually consumers that didn't have, you know, um, enough of a choice when it comes to a nut butter that can help them maybe to sustain energy when they go to the gym or afterwards. Yeah? So um, there were some brands out there at this time, but uh, we still s- saw here some also by identifying the consumer problem, we still saw an opportunity. And I would say by recognizing um, also this consumer challenge, yeah, we created a, a path, yeah, uh, a very unique path uh, as a solution. And I think that's also very important because often you have all this information 
But I think what was so special about the team, you know, when we worked in this event space was that by recognizing that each of this consumer challenge or question may take a path as the solution we create, you know. So it's like uh, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. And I think this is probably already quite a, a good insight because that also might help you to make a better decision, move on. Yeah. And here, you know, I think the journey was so interesting because we really got, you know, by knowing the opportunity space, by fairly quickly also knew who the target consumer was, yeah, having sort of a problem identified, yeah, um, we were able, and now you might say, oh, no, that, that cannot be, yeah, how can this be? So we were able, I remember, we kicked it off, and I think after, not I think I know, after nine, ten weeks, we were already able uh, to be uh, sort of in some stores, you know, and do um, and do um, kind of in real life learning. And we we actually in that in in that case the stores for us where where the we went where the consumer actually were hanging out, you know, in in, in Manhattan in a yoga studio. Yeah, so we we're going actually to the gym, Equinox, and 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 also to some of the yoga studios. Yeah. So we were able at this time, we had already some prototypes. And I think this is also important, you know, maybe early enough in the journey when you have an idea, when you have sort of a kind of a direction, you know, bring a prototype early enough on board because that can also then help you to co-create with consumers. Yeah. So I think this was really, really quick, you know, because often in, in an innovation uh, journey, you know, it takes longer, but of course, you know, have maybe more constraints, you know, uh, we are only able maybe to produce a, a bigger amount of sample. You know, here also, of course, we had also a lot of external partners as well. Yeah, but I think this is a a, a great example because it's um, it was not only about this, you know, tons of data, but also asking really the right questions um, and forming the right hypothesis from the very first moment, and and that allowed us as a team to move really, really fast, you know, and, and, you know, from one week to the next, uh, we could make really fast decisions because also we, we did not do studies, you know, like we, we did not look for the evaluation. We looked more for, for the learning and we asked the question, okay, in this week, what do we really need to learn in order to move on? You know, what's next? Yeah. And I think again, we had a, we had a lot of data at the beginning. We had the game boards. We had the trends. You know, we formed, you know, the opportunities. Yeah. But then, you know, we went fairly fast, you know, not, you know, wasting too much time on another big study, you know, a, another kind of, you know, setting up things, you know, and that would have maybe slowed us a little bit down. Yeah. But we really, um, tried to make the most out of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, when I, when I now look back, you know, this learning is also something I, I try to bring back to the um, to the organization, and I think you know we are making here great um, steps. You know, it, it it doesn't need to be you know it, it, we don't need to immediately make huge steps. You know, because it's also connected to a mindset shift and change as well. You know, because you know of course um, in in certain cases cases it might take longer because you might have more questions and you need to go out and need another study. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's this encouragement, you know, also for teams working on innovation to say, listen, um, you can, you can try, right? Sometimes you can experiment. In some cases, you might do something more, uh, robust, right? You know, you might need a volume, volumetric, you might, because also maybe it's connected to a certain investment. But in some other cases, you know, when the question is fairly simple and you have the hypothesis to prove, you know, you can go out and do it. Yeah? And I think, um, 
that is maybe a nice uh, story and uh, example um, from the last um, years also in Snake Futures, um, what we did. And, and again, now we are playing a little bit uh, of baby steps yeah, and see what happens. Thanks for sharing that example. Um, my follow-up question, Barbara, is what are the key elements of innovation, you know, in terms of employees, in, in terms of skill set? I think this is this is a question that many companies struggle with. In fact, I was having a, a conversation with um, the folks at Avocados for, uh, for Mexico. And as you know, they really, you know, over the past 10 years, really, they, they were sort of like on the front of, of innovation when it comes to that product. Um, she made an interesting statement to me uh, during our conversation. She said that the types of people in her organization that really thrive are people that don't come from industry. In other words, they're outside outside of the industry. They have a completely different skill set, different set of experiences. In her, she was saying those types of people really thrive in innovation. I want to get your thoughts. You know, as you know, as you know, a person within a large, you know, a CPG yeah. company, would you agree? And what what skills would be needed? I I agree. Um, because some of the really wonderful founders I met over the past years, you know, also within our um, program called Colab, you know, where we, um, yeah, work uh, and mentor with uh, startup companies over a couple of months. Yeah, um, I met wonderful founders, um, and they also, I mean, they had nothing to do with food. Yeah. Uh, they had, they came maybe from a completely different background, yeah. And, uh, but there was this kind of, and now there is probably one skill, you know, or skill, or actually, yeah, it is, there is this kind of maybe curiosity, you know, and, and I think there is something around people being curious, but not only that, because curious might not be enough, you know. What is also so important is that these people, and uh, I can imagine you know, who, who they are, they are very, very big in uh, actually this kind of really big thinking um, and going outside also the box. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of thing. This is a really, really, um, the people who are really good in innovation, you know, um, outside the company, founding their own companies, but also inside big corporation. Yeah? They have this ability to go first very, very broad. And they don't limit themselves, you know. They don't say, ah, you know, no, we have done this. No, okay. Hmm. So they go They go in any stage of the journey. They go very, very broad, yeah. And then there is a time where they say, you know what, um, now we bring it down to the ground, yeah. And I think this is, for me, uh, a major, um, a sort of a major skill set, yeah. Um, there is also something, you know, uh, for me and, you don't hear this so often in, in, in the corporate world. You know, you hear about, you know, of course, thrives, thrives in ambiguity, right? And demonstrates the critical thinking, right? So these are all these kind of, you know, hard skills. Yeah? But I think there's also something around an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah? So something around um, also at the same time combined with a certain sense of practicality, so these people are not shy to roll up their sleeves and go. Mm. Yeah. So they, they, they don't have maybe all the facts yet on the table, but they are so motivated 
that I say, listen, I roll up my sleeve, I go, I find this out, I stay curious. Yeah? And for me, this is this kind of entrepreneur um, mindset. Yeah? So there is, a, there is a little bit of about that as well. And it's not just, you know, people who um, are outside and they found their own company. You can also find this um, in, inside the company as well, yeah. But often these people are, are quite of also very good, um, um, I would say, thinkers in terms of critical thinking and then also asking, I think also from the very first moment, asking the right questions as well, yeah. So before anything starts, they ask a question, again, paired with maybe curiosity, but just because they say, okay, listen, hold on a second. Um, I would like to know that, yeah. So I think this, for me, are really, really um, skill sets. Um, and those people, you, you, you spot them, you know. They, mm. And they, they might also be people that are not so comfortable, you know. Mm. They are maybe also comfortable with the uncomfortable and they are not afraid to lean into hard conversations as well, yeah. So maybe they're sometimes a bit provocative and like first, at first glance you feel like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but then, but then you're like, oh my, I, I don't want to miss this type of people in my company because they are so important because they bring exactly that, you know, what an innovator should do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then you have, of course, um, I would say if I can summarize it about the experience in agile, in innovation ways of working a little bit, right? But these are things you can also learn, yeah? If you're in consumer insights, you know, the ability to facilitate a translation of consumer insights to measurable technical targets as well. So this is also to, again, as I said at the beginning, you turn something, an observation into an insight. So that's an art in itself. Um, if you come more from the innovation insights, um, um, I would say, background um, collaborators mm. so uh, also people um, who are yeah who want to break down the silos because innovation is also a lot of cross-functionality right um, that's very important to form a team uh, with different backgrounds because that makes it then also so diverse yeah mm. and i would also say um this team then also see the venture mindset as a fundamental way of working as well yeah mm. But um, I would I would say for me um, that's it. I think more on the um, functional side, you know, key elements for innovation to thrive in a company is for sure what we talked about the experiment experimentation. Um, so that's an area, right? Then hypothesis led learning, building a learning culture over time, asking again the questions from the beginning of your innovation journey. And then also falling in love with the consumer problem or need, yeah. Mm. So really be there that you that you listen to the consumer, identify and say their behaviors, you know, look at their behaviors, listen to their try to understand also what's outside the brand, outside of the category, in order to nurture innovation, to bring something new, yeah. Mm. Um, there can be the category, right? And the category can be saturated, yeah. But um, there can be a player coming in, you know, and do, does something probably also disruptive, yeah? Does something different what maybe large companies have overseen in the many, many years before. And that's then for me also sort of a sense of disruption, yeah? Then proactive, um, anticipating, you know, versus uh, just reacting. Again, this is why, again, the trends part is so important that we take this on board. 
welcome change. Don't be afraid. Yeah, it's 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 fine. It's it's uh, riding on the change curve a little bit. And the culture is about the consumer uh, obsession. And also, last but not least, you know, when you also view it more from a leadership point of view, you know, senior management, yeah, that you have this ownership, yeah, that you have mm -hmm. the the buy-in from the very first moment. I think that's also very important. And then when you mix all of that together, yeah, I think then hopefully you're on a good on a good path. <laughs> well, that, that 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 is a lot to unpack. There. I feel yes. like this is a this is like an entire course um, that yes. uh, people can, can go. go. <laughs> yeah, we we can we can come back to that. I think probably this is this is really a theme topic when also culture innovation culture is probably a topic and you can talk for days. Yeah, so it's yeah. like a an own course. I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I love I love the fact that you're being so candid about the the process and it's not going to look perfect as you as you'll probably agree, right? There are going to be times like I feel, you know, in our in my organization, when I acquired the company, I told my staff, it's okay for you to fail when you try something new. Because before the previous culture was one where okay, the it was top down, the leadership was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then the rest of the team just executed. When I took over, I told the team, No, this is going to be flat. I said, we're going to try some new things. Some things are not going to work out, but some things are really going to work out well. And so I put I gave them the opportunity to, to grow. And, you know, it's been it's been a wonderful process over the past three years um, in my organization to see how innovation can impact a media company. But um, but yeah, I think it, it, what you just said, but all this, the various elements of innovation within a larger company are, are definitely valid as well. So in my final question to you, Barbara, like I can't I can't leave the conversation without getting your <laughs> thoughts on the top trends, the top insights that you're looking out for this year and maybe even next year. Can you share a few thoughts about that with our audience? I was actually, yeah, so let me, again, this is probably also a long answer. So I will, I will couple it a little bit because I, I think I want to talk about the, the kind of the macro environment, you know, because I think it's also interesting, especially what happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. So I would say you cannot disregard, um, the well-being ubiquity in snacking. So I think the, the theme around, um, well-being yeah, is, and in particular, you know, holistic well-being is something important and we cannot ignore it, you know, um, especially a company like Mondelez. So this is something has been around for a long time. I'm not saying this is actually just uh, arrived because, I mean, we can probably, if I think about it, like 10, 15 years ago that arrived, that it was a bit more technical, but we can say that consumers are making small but at the same time, significant changes to the everyday life. Yeah? They try. I mean, there is still a big gap in terms of what people say, you know, and what they do. When we also um, um, link it back to, you know, finding out and consumer insight. And this is also why sometimes, you know, moving a little bit, bit away from the survey, because that's a kind of particular topic. Everybody wants to be better. Every, everybody, you know, tries a little bit, right? You want to do this one more exercise hour per week yeah sometimes you're more successful sometimes not because we are all human beings yeah and and we have um, we are living busy lives but overall we can say that and i think there is some charm to that because we see that that i think if you think about it this way 
you can also almost see a lot of opportunities carving out, right? Because it's not so black and white, you know, okay, you just have an intake of a 10 calorie something, but it's a bit more, okay. Um, and I think this is also what I saw um, at the Expo West uh, coming in. And I wanted really to also bring in those trends because they are, they are super relevant as well. You know, it's like, okay, there's something around, yeah, a bit of elevated indulgence, yeah. Mm -hmm. So something, you know, uh, where people say, yeah, if I then indulge, you know, I really indulge, you know, and, and that's fine. Yeah. So, and I think this is also under this well-being path. Yeah. Of course, that might look different for different categories, you know, might look also different for beverages and snacks and within snacks, obviously it might look different for chocolate and for uh, cookies. But I think overall, this is something that will stay with us and we have to make the effort to understand it better. Yeah. So then I think um, a second big one is really this um, shifting demographic landscape. I think, again, this is also something that doesn't stop. You know, it's like um, changing household makeups. So over demographic shifts in an aging world. And again, it's even more prominent. And also the, I think, um, the increase of one-person households in certain developed markets, yeah, is something, you know, to think about, you know, I think this is, again, is more macro, yeah, but uh, very, very important because also it's linked in how people treat themselves and others and how they celebrate, yeah. So there is, especially when, when it comes to snacking, a lot of implications. Then, um, yeah, increasingly fluid lifestyles, you know, and we had this topic, you know, we had this topic, you know, also, but I think this topic got redefined as well because with the pandemic, yeah, we, we saw, you know, a more sustained shift to more dynamic lives, yeah, flexible working, yeah, um, actually it's more blurred, yeah, the, the work-life play is, um, so it's not just you separate now your work, you know, you, you separate your personal life, you know, it's like it's all all a bit, you know, yeah, it all comes a little bit together. Yeah. And here, again, there is a lot to think how to support people in many different ways, you know, from many different industries, you know, from snacking, but there's, you know, much more to come. Yeah. And I think there is, um, there is a lot of things, you know, went also back to, you know, people predicted like, oh, there are some things they never, people will never come back to. That's also not true. Right. I mean, there, there is actually some, some things settled, but there is something around this fluidity and there's also probably even a bigger aspect around the convenience as well. Uh, so elevated convenience. Yeah. Then um, snack also as a gateway to new experiences. So that's, I think, also something um, food or snacking is always was always brought to an experience to consumers. But again, connected with COVID, you know, and people, you know, they cooked more at home. They experimented a lot more. Yeah that more consumers will look uh, to life's everyday foods and meals to add layers of excitement of, and experience. And again, if I link it, you know, to here, to the Expo West, yeah, to the trends we actually saw there, is a, is a little bit this excitement around Asian, um, Asian new flavors, you know. Again, I would almost say elevated ethnic flavors, yeah. Mm. So flavors, you know, you know, right from the restaurant from before. I mean, we all, we all actually went uh, to an Indian restaurant, the Mexican. But there is something about refined, you know. There's something about more premium, yeah. 
um, I, I really was uh, really excited and surprised to see so many great um, brands and products at the Expo West because I felt like there's really something new there. Also, when you connect it with snacking, it's almost like just not um, sweet, but also a lot of savory as well. Yeah. Mm. So there's a uh, there's here also a new kind of trend when you uh, bundle it with flavor experiences. Yeah. And then last but not least, also around, but it's now in the last two years also we see this more and more. Consumers and people are getting more aware is um, sustainability and impact Im imperative. Yeah. So this. Um, Sustainability, of course, has many different expressions, you know, and a long time, you know, the consumer was like, when you ask, it's like, okay, sustainability in some countries, people were not, but now with the climate change in particular, but also putting more attention on packaging and maybe what kind of effect this can have on the world, people understand this more and more. And also here, like in the well-being part, people want to be better. They want to actually, they're trying, right? They're trying to separate, you know, and it's, again, in the developed world, I would say there is a, a big awareness of people. And it's even now that far that there are consumer groups. When you say, said a couple of years ago, okay, would you pay a little bit more? People would say, no way, yeah, no way. But now as people and consumers understand the consequences of some things like the climate change and what it could do potentially, people are saying, hey, wait a second, you know, yeah, maybe it's worthwhile, you know, to to pay here a little bit more. Yeah, again, I'm not general. Um, it's not a, a general statement. Yeah, because um, we also need to take into consideration the um, current inflation and the change of um, the change basically of uh, certain economic situations as well. You know, where we're currently in. Yeah, but there is something about the awareness of people. I think around this um, sustainability topic, and uh, and that's really. Um, a nice one. And then, you know, adding just interesting ones, you know, around, um, again, coming what I saw at the fair is like around the plant-based, of course, that will stay. It's more deeper now. It's more kind of, um, actually, maybe not many more things will come, but it's like, like more, also much better. The products, the brands are much better. It's it's deeper, maybe fewer brands. Yeah. Um, then there is something around, I would say, uh, functional foods, absolutely. I think even, you know, uh, when you look from a Mondelez lens, yeah, uh, to take on board, yeah, um, there is a younger generation and this younger generation, you know, um, they look how they appear, right? They go to the gym, they are busy, they, they hold a busy lifestyle, they work, um, they don't have time maybe to cook in between. And there is something around to satisfy this problem or need as well. Yeah. And I think this is getting bigger and bigger. So I think functional food is five, seven years ago that used to be, oh, people were like, mm, will this really take off the shakes? Mm, not sure. Yeah. But if you now look and um, um, when you also look now at some new companies yeah, coming in, yeah. And they're raising um, within a short period of time quite a lot of money. There is definitely something in there. You know, there's definitely for the next generations, um, they have a different taste palette as well. You know, for them, it's not just about maybe something only sweet. Yeah, but, but for them, it's also about okay. You know what? I want to really be good to myself. You know, when I eat or when I, it it should be nutritious, right? It should cover my. It should cover maybe the calories for me. Yeah. 
but it should not be an empty calorie. Uh, so again, awareness. Yeah. So, so we see um, a lot of things, I would say, at the expo, I think they, they were tra- like what I saw is like what has been around, but it's a bit like more um, defined. Mm-hmm. You know, with the flavors, I think it's elevated a little bit, you know, um, and I think that's good. I think it's also good because there are some trends are here to stay and they will actually have different expressions and we need to study that and we need to understand that much better, you know, and we need to find ways, uh, again, to support, help consumers in any possible way. Yeah. Right. Wow. What a, what a wonderful answer. <laughs> so, so to recap, elevated indulgence right? Demographic shifts, right? Um, elevated convenience, fluid lifestyles, um, food as experience, right? Plant-based, functional, functional foods. This is, this is like probably five different webinars. But I think that's great. I think this, um, you know, it's always great to hear from one of the industry leaders when it comes to, you know, how, how you and Mondelez uh, is thinking about the food and beverage industry. So really appreciate it. Um, Barbara Shandel, Insights Lead at Snack Future Ventures. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on our program today. Um, and thank you folks for joining us on our podcast. This is what we do. This is why the Food Institute exists, is to provide the best information, insights, best practices to the food and beverage industry. Don't forget that you can find more podcast episodes on our site. Our weekly newscast is every Friday. Our FI Live replays is twice a month. And even subscribe to our newsletters to get our daily updates sent right to your inbox at www.foodinstitute.com. I'm Brian Choi, Managing Partner and CEO of the Food Institute. I'll see you again next time. Thanks again. 